This is Mind the Shift, and I am Anders Bolling. Last summer, I spent quite some time uh, writing an essay, uh, an in-depth essay, that I thought would be great to have published in some newspaper or magazine in Sweden. And it was about what I and many others think will be the next big evolutionary leap in uh, humankind's history, namely the leap inward, where we finally delve into the non-physical aspects of who we are ourselves. And we begin realizing uh, that what we today call paranormal phenomena are in fact, very normal phenomena. And my text had many references to scientists and scientific studies. So what happened? Well, I got a couple of, uh, you know, decent no's from, from, from papers, but there was one magazine that was interested, but the editor wanted to, to cut out uh, about half the text, um, particularly some parts in the beginning that were a bit esoteric and poetic. <laughs> and he also said to me that I think you are, uh, you haven't sufficiently taken into account China's reaction to this change. <laughs> and then he also asked me if I had smoked mushrooms. <laughs> so now this kind of reaction is what you often meet in, in uh, mainstream media when you want to investigate uh, topics that are outside the mainstream narrative, the mainstream scientific narrative, in the Western world at least. Uh, especially when you try to bridge, uh, you know, science and spirituality. It's very difficult to get articles published uh, about these things unless you write them in a kind of, you know, tongue-in-cheek way, kind of ironic or so. Now, one person uh, whom I uh, asked to, to read my essay and whom I got a lot of wise advice from uh, concerning this essay is my guest today, a fellow journalist, and friend, welcome to the show, Jesper Madsen. Thank you. Thank you for your kind words, Anders. Yeah. And I have to tell you, I, I have some mushrooms in my fridge, but <laughs> okay. they don't have any impact at all. I'm sorry. Oh, that's very strange. <laughs> From I the thought... supermarket. <laughs> okay. Okay. Maybe, maybe it's not the right kind then. I have to ask you first, you weren't very surprised when you heard about my, my experience with this essay, were you? No, not, not really. Uh, I didn't have the same experience, but uh, I know the, the attitude and the uh, mindset of the editors. So uh, no, mm -hmm. it's no surprise here in Denmark. Yeah. Yes, you're in Denmark. You, you live outside Aarhus on Jutland. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. That's wonderful. Uh, I was thinking we should start in that end and, and um, have you... Uh, tell us a little bit more about your background, your, your, uh, yourself and your personal journey. I mean, why did you become a journalist and a communicator in the first, um, first of all? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, uh, in the beginning, I wanted to be, after graduating, uh, I, I um, wanted to be um, um, an electronic engineer. Mm. Uh, I don't know why, but it's, uh, all the technical stuff was really something I thought. But then, for some reason, I took a break from from uh, thinking about education, and I well, some years after, I decided that I want to to write and tell stories to be a journalist. And uh, um, yeah, you you told me in in my pre-interview form here that you. Uh, 
something happening in the Navy when you were in the Navy. Is that right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I was in the Navy and uh, because what else should I do? I, I, I didn't think about, I didn't consider being a, uh, what do you call it? In, uh, the Americans called it uh, a draft dodger, someone who doesn't want to, to join the Navy or the Army. Uh, but I didn't think of that, so I found myself in the Danish Navy uh, uh, for 17 months, and it was it was not a bad experience. Uh, I I like to be in the, on the sea, uh, the sea, but uh, still, I think people were crazy in there, <laughs> the officers, and uh, I had so much time to think. So after this, I decided to. Um, to study movies at the university, mm. movies and television, I think it okay. was called. And uh, after a while, uh, a lot of things happened, and then I, uh, yeah, decided to be a journalist. But uh, talking about my 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 travel as as a, yeah, just as a human, it was I was when I was a boy. I I think I thought all these mystic. The UFOs and uh, ghosts and anything mystical. It, I was reading about it, cartoons and books and whatever. And um, I think a lot of people are doing that, of course. And um, but I can remember that my father, he was telling me a strange story way back in the I don't know the sixties, maybe. Anyway, um, he was a um, telegraphist and uh, so I was learning how to use the Morse code mm -hmm. when my father was holding my hand he was pressing my hand doot, 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 doot. so that's yeah. how I learned to do this um, but he, he had a friend and a colleague who was uh, uh, employed at a ship uh, my father was not he was on the ground most of the time uh, in the airport, but uh, this man, he was um, he was at the ship called Hans Hiltoft. Anyway, in 1959, the ship was on its, its way back from Greenland to Denmark and mm -hmm. uh, with this man on board. And after that, the ship went down. Oh, yeah, that's the important point. Hmm. Everybody died. Uh, some time afterwards, my, my father had this, uh, was told this story about uh, the man's family. In the middle of the night, uh, half past three in the morning, uh, their dog began barking and going crazy. It was going wild. And, oh, shut up, shut up. We don't want to, we want to sleep. And, and it showed that uh, exactly at that time, <laughs> the ship went down. Oh, really? Yeah. That's fascinating. So that's that's one of the stories I I never forget because I was a, I was a boy but it make uh, I can feel still now it made quite an impression on me yeah. to hear about this of course also because the man died. Um so but anyway uh if we are going along with uh, my my travel um in the 80s, there was this new wave of psychology, psychiatry, therapy, 
And uh, everybody uh, all of a sudden was reading Stanislav Grof. Yeah. Uh, the Slovakian about, psychologist who got into got in really deep into these uh, esoteric things. Yeah, he was writing books about his uh, uh, LSD therapy. Oh which yeah, yeah. Of course, was uh, forbidden uh, some years after. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he's still going strong. But uh, um, that was quite interesting. And um, <clears throat> and some years after, I had a girlfriend who was a psychologist. And we started reading, uh, for example, David Bohm, the famous uh, uh, quantum uh, physicist. Yeah, physicist. Yeah, and um, <clears throat> so, and we had some very good uh, experiences and talking about all this stuff and reading books and um, talking about books. And I, I don't remember exactly when, <clears throat> but then I bought my Bible. And of course, a, a lot of things have, has been written since then, but I'll show it to you. Uh, I think it's, well, Room? primary of uh, interest for the Scandinavian uh, yeah. uh, audience. Uh, it's, it's called uh, Behind Time and Space, uh, in Danish, written by Eric Daman, a Norwegian uh, mm-hmm. uh, journalist. And he was, this guy was taking a trip around the world, so to speak, uh, talking to all the, all the important people, so to speak, uh, at that time, for example, David Bohm. Mm. And, and it really blew my mind. I think that was uh, the, the basic uh, start for me to go into to this uh, field. Yeah. So this was in the 80s. This book came out in the 80s also, or...? or? Uh, 80s or I'm not sure. I think, oh, I cannot tell when it was written. Uh, Wait a minute, here it is. Uh, 1989 in Norway, I think. Yeah. Uh I never heard of that book, actually. I mean, I'm a Swede, so I should have heard of it because it has a Scandinavian context. But anyway, uh, yeah, I was going to ask you about what, where you came, where your interest came from uh, uh, in um, investigating, as you call it, frontier science. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it, it seems to me as if this uh, influence is uh, an ongoing thing. It's not you, you can't say that it was just one incident or one uh, event that made you take that course. But but it has been with you since you were a kid, basically. And you've been more and more interested in, in these things. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and in, um, that made me think more about it. And uh, I had the opportunity to, um, I had the opportunity to, um, to get some money uh, from my, from my uh, union to go to, <coughs> sorry, um, to take a trip to San Francisco in 1996. Um, because it seemed that all the interesting people were somehow gathered in California in this area in the Bay Area. Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, I spent, I think, five weeks, which was prolonged to seven weeks in the San Francisco, and talking to a lot of very uh, wise and interesting people, and including a, a trip to to the IONS, the Institute of Noetic Science in yes. 
north of San Francisco. <clears throat> you are affiliated to, to IONS. Uh, I you are affiliated to IONS in some way? Yeah, some way. Yeah, that's, uh, that's the, the, um, the more uh, recent part of the story. Okay, but, uh, okay. yeah, okay. I, I'm, Sorry, I'm in connect, connection with those people, yeah. yeah. We can come back to that, but and, back yeah, to 1996. Back to <laughs> and um, I went back to Denmark with a lot of, load, with a lot of notes uh, about this trip, and uh, it was hard for me as a new, young journalist uh, to to find out what to do with this, because as we were talking about, the media are not really interested. Mm. But uh, anyway, in uh, 97, uh, I succeeded to have um, a small uh, article in uh, in a main uh, mainstream Danish newspaper about our uh, scientific worldview, about the paradigm. So with a Danish source. So, so that was okay, but... Uh, that's the one and only piece that you have gotten published that is exactly about this topic, is it? Yeah, exactly. As about talking about science and the, the paradigm shift, that is the only one. It's yeah. 20 years ago or 30 yeah. or whatever. And, um, but, uh, and then I, you've, been you've been dealing with, I mean, the last 20 years, as far as I understand, you've been focusing on alternative and complementary medicine. Is, is that right? Exactly, because uh, uh, as I said, it was difficult to find out what to do with all this, uh, with my interest and with all my notes. Mm. And uh, all of a sudden, I found myself at a meeting with some, with a researcher, a sociologist from Denmark and a, a Danish uh, medical doctor. And they were talking about alternative medicine. And I said, okay, this is somehow connected to what we are talking about because yeah. it's uh, <clears throat> in general, you could say, and most of it is based on the Eastern way of thinking, which is again, connected to, as I see it, uh, connected to, uh, to the possible paradigm shift of science. Mm -hmm. So anyway, uh, I decided to, um, to start writing about this and I've been doing this uh, since then. Uh, and of course, it's, it's a hobby and interest. And also, uh, thank God, it's also, it has been a part of my work and my income. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah. But now somehow, I'm, I, the, the last couple of years, I feel like going back to, to the start, so to mm. speak. Mm. Uh, the basic I, big questions. Yeah. Go back to the big questions. Uh, I don't want to spend the rest of my life writing about only alternative medicine. No, no. Uh, even if it's if it's uh, it's okay and it's a good subject. Um, Maybe it's a little bit less controversial. It's easier to write about uh, this bodily bo body focused uh, topics like like alternative medicine than it is to write about, for instance, near death experiences or uh, remote viewing or something like that. So it's easier to to get things published that are about medicine. Even if it's alternative medicine, well, it's in some way it's easier, but uh, oh, that's well, that's <laughs> we could make a whole, and a whole podcast about that. Podcast yeah. about that, but uh, uh, the media's uh, attitude towards alternative medicine uh, in my country is uh, very—it's uh, a sad story. Uh, uh -huh. The journalists 
really don't know what they are writing about. And they, <laughs> if, if a medical doctor says this is true, they, they believe him. Mm -hmm. Whatever uh, they say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, whatever they say. Mm -hmm. And this, uh, it's this mumbo jumbo, this alternative, because you cannot prove, prove that it works, etc., etc. Yeah, but you, but you can really. I mean, there are so many studies being done, but they're not taken seriously. No, no, and they, uh, the doctors only recognize uh, one method: uh, double-blinded, uh, controlled uh, trial, and uh, yeah. and uh, this has to be done if you uh, you have to use this method if you want to prove mm -hmm. that some treatment is working, and uh, that this is a lie. Nobody cares about because mm -hmm. you cannot say that. In science, if you want to to have valid uh, information about is this working or is it not working, you have to choose the best method in each case. Mm. If you say that uh, that uh, that the guarantee of a of valid information depends on only one method, then it's a question of your belief. Yeah. And like I, I love to tell system. this to the doctors because they say that alternative medicine it works because you believe in it. So it's the same thing, yeah. It's the same thing. Your RCT methods they they are the best because you believe that. I just came okay. to think about some part, uh, an interesting part of that, and I mentioned it in my essay as, as well. Uh, I mean, while we're talking about it, the uh, the placebo effect, which has to do with this, and the nocebo effect, which they're talking about now also i mean placebo effect meaning that you you get well from just believing that you're getting a, a an active pill an active medicine um, uh, treatment but might, you might be given a sugar pill instead but you still get well and mm -hmm. the nocebo effect is the opposite then that you if you believe that you have uh, ingested something that is poisonous or bad for you 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 will feel bad all even if it's just a sugar pill as well so what what does mainstream uh, medicine say about these things because it's it's a known fact i mean the placebo effect is is well known and well studied and it has it's it, i mean it's strong it's in some cases i think when it comes to the painkillers for instance i think the placebo effect is up to 60 percent or something 60 percent of the people getting sugar pills say that they they experience less pain so what what do the mainstream uh, doctors say about this well, of course, you you have to ask them, but uh, but uh, in my have, view, have you written about this? Sorry, I'm interrupting. But have you written about this in in your work as a, an alternative medicine? Yeah, yeah, I, I did, and I also made an interview with a uh, with a placebo expert. Uh, I was uh, present when she was defending her doctor. What do you what's the thesis? Name? Thesis? Yeah, yeah, a doctor thesis. So, so uh, and she was quite interesting because uh, she was digging deep into the placebo question, and and she also told me that we had to to uh, go deeper into this. What is placebo? What's what is the mechanism? It's it's it of course is a psycho psychosomatic uh, question, and uh, and a lot of doctors recognize that, <clears throat> but when it comes to to um, alternative medicine, they use the word placebo just to to rule it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then it, it, that is just a, a nasty word. Oh, it's all placebo. Yeah, I know. So uh, yeah. then, then they don't want to go into into the details. One of the things she told me that 
uh, in some controlled trials that she had controlled, so to speak, uh, it, it was very, uh, it was a good protocol and you, you had the placebo group and you had the other group and uh, they didn't know uh, which they would get, yeah. the placebo or, or the real pills or whatever, yes. real treatment. But the thing was that a lot of the people she interviewed, they knew exactly if they had had the placebo or the real thing, they knew. So. Yeah. Somehow uh, the the blinding process was uh, flawed. Well, yeah, it was it was gone. There was there was no not really a blinding. So it's much more complicated than we than most people think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was just thinking that. I mean, if, to me, it's obvious that the placebo effect shows that we have uh, powers within ourselves that we can ha- we can heal ourselves much to to much larger extent than we have understood so far. And yeah. that's, the, that's the point here. <laughs> so yeah, that's what I, why I was asking about it. Of course. And, uh, and the interesting question is that uh, if you, if you um, try to make a study on, on uh, acupuncture or healing or whatever, uh, uh, you somehow uh, should use different methods. You might use also the control trial, but... Uh, as I said before, uh, uh, this uh, um, control trial is not, it's not God. Mm. You cannot use it as the only uh, valid tool. Uh, mm. that, that is not, that is just stupid talking about science. But even if you do that, um, if you as a doctor don't understand or don't uh, recognize the thinking behind this treatment. The best example, of course, is homeopathy. Yeah. Because it doesn't make sense that some water with mm. with zero molecules mm-hmm. in it mm. of the active ingredient, mm. how could this work? It's, it's a mumbo jumbo, they say. Mm. And I understand them somehow because uh, uh, we are living in a in a world of uh, molecules, and if they are not there, there's nothing. That's what we are told, at least. Exactly. Um, so we have a re, uh, right now we are having a, a, a fight in the media between a, a, some a brave uh, scientist who wants to do uh, homeopathy uh, research yeah. and has uh, has got some funding, and they are just going crazy. Yeah, this should not be happening in Denmark, and this is bullshit, mm. etc. So I decided to. Uh, to call him <laughs> and say, hey, you, we have to, uh, I want to support you, you if I can, yes. but uh, it's, 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 a, it's a difficult one in, in Denmark. Mm. Um, but uh, just before uh, this interview, I was reading in this uh, Bible, as I yeah, yeah, yeah. call it, and it was very interesting because um, he is talking about uh, a physicist called John Taylor. Well, this is many years ago, of course. Uh, John Taylor uh, in uh, London. Uh, he was a skeptic, uh, but anyway, he was um, uh, participating or uh, maybe even setting up a, a study, controlled study about uh, bending metal. Mm-hmm. You know, like Uri uh, Geller. The Uri Geller story. Yes. Exactly, yeah. Um, and uh, he was. 
concluding that this might be interesting because his theory was that um, the electromagnetic uh, waves from the person mm -hmm. could have an influence on the, in the physical world, so to speak, on the metal. Yeah, yeah. That was his uh, theory. That's interesting. But then, this is the interesting point, uh, but then he later on found out that uh, the, what, with his knowledge of uh, elect electromagnetism, this could not have happened. Hmm. So because of that, he concluded that, uh, that the bending of the metal uh, had not taken place. <laughs> it was had impossible. Not, had not occurred. I mean, it, it was obvious that you could you could see that it was bent. Couldn't yeah, you? but uh, uh, because uh, the point is that if uh, you might uh, have all this uh, <clears throat> discussion about how to to make the study and placebo and control groups, but still, if the the explanation of uh, the 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 mechanism behind. Mm -hmm which uh, is uh, stated uh, by the, uh, uh, the alternative practitioners. We have a theory who says so-and-so, and if this theory is, uh, if it, this seems to be if crazy. It if it contradicts the narrative. So if it contradicts the narrative or, 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 or at least seems to be totally uh, way out, <laughs> mm -hmm. then why should you start doing research that's a way of thinking yeah so if you if you don't understand the basic mechanism which might be beyond your uh, scientific view of course yeah. if you don't understand that that then you should not uh, do the research it's it's, and, it's it's extremely unscientific actually to think that way because it is it is I mean, because if this has been the attitude yeah. uh, uh, in science all the time then we would not be discussing uh, uh, at Zoom, but we will still sit around the fire. Exactly. <laughs> because no progress would have been made. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, uh, if you don't understand the problem from the beginning, you, you shouldn't study it. That's, that's the, yeah. the baseline here. Then you so, stop caring yeah. about if it yeah. works or not. It, uh, th that seems to be less relevant mm -hmm. because uh, if this uh, mechanism yeah. Um, is is not uh, uh, valid in your view, then you shouldn't care about anything. And the right. thing is that no scientist, as far as I know, has been mapping all the um, uh, uh, all the um, the aspects of yeah. water of the nature of water. It's uh, it has not been been fully uh, investigated. That's and there's true. a lot of there's a lot of things going on uh, to 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 deal with this, but uh, that's that's a long story. I'm not going to. Yeah, but it's it seems very basic, but it's true what you're saying because I mean I'm now reading a very interesting book about body heat, and uh, it's called the body heat fiasco. And this author, I'm I will also talk, speak to him on the on the podcast later. He has come to the conclusion that the the reason why the body heats um, keeps its heat is that is that because um, air is uh, squeezed into the lungs, and when you compress air, um, according to the gas laws, uh, it heats up. Yeah. Heats up. And and the explanation why human beings are uh, have um, body heat. I mean, thirty six point nine degrees constantly has since the eighteen hundreds been that 
there are some chemical processes going on, but they don't really know. And this is really, it's scandalous really that, that we don't know more about this. It says in the textbooks, some very um, uh, vague things about um, chemical processes that are doing this, uh, that, are, that are creating the heat in the body. But this is a very straightforward explanation. And, and he goes to length to explain why this is very, very easy to understand. If you see it this way, it's, it's, it makes much more sense. And this is also mm -hmm. considered mumbo-jumbo. But it's, I mean, it's really the other thing that is mumbo-jumbo. It's really mumbo-jumbo to say that it's, ah, there is some kind of chemical process that we don't know exactly. It could be in the cells. It could be here. It could be there. But this is in the textbook. So, I, I mean, talking about water, I actually interviewed also a guy. Excuse you, me, but, but talking about uh, uh, this, uh, about the body heat, yeah. maybe they should talk to Wim Hof. Wim Hof is mentioned in the book. Is mentioned yes. in the book. Yeah, it's uh, one chapter is about Wim Hof, and I knew a little bit about him before, but now I know more. And this is also exactly what's happening. He's using breathing techniques, breathing technique to keep his heat. So it all makes sense. Yeah. And uh, it's very interesting that, that, I mean, mainstream science knows so little about so basic things. And also, water, as you mentioned, I interviewed a guy who is also a homeop homeopath. Carl Moore. He's not famous or anything, I think, but I mean, he, he's a friend of mine and he's a pod, uh, fellow podcaster. He's also a homeopath. And he taught me a lot about uh, the, the properties of water and the properties and the faculties of water that are very little known. And, and it has to do with the vibration and um, uh, vortexes, vortices in the water. If, if the water is uh, circulating or is in, in there's, there are water vortices, it has different properties than if it's still and things like that and it's it interacts with with the material that it has around it and it, all sorts of things it does all sorts of things and i mean we are 65 percent water or 70 percent water so it would make sense then that that water would have some would be able to have some impact on our health and our bodies so uh, i mean homeopathy might be flawed in the sense that they think that this active molecule does something but maybe it's just the water and that's good enough so maybe they shouldn't be talking about these these active ingredients. They should maybe homeopaths should only be talking about water and what water does. Well, yeah, but it it has. Uh, they say that um, it has a kind of memory, so it can remember yeah. these ingredients somehow. Because that's true. Otherwise, it will not really. It would be the same uh, treatment for everyone if there was nothing. So that's true. They have the memory oh, yeah. that you said that I forgot that, but that's that's an important aspect. That they say that the water remembers what it has been. Yeah, yeah. Um, but talking about the the, the conservative uh, scientists and the conservative media, of course, um, I had uh, an, some kind of support in by way of thinking, uh, which I was really not expecting, um, because. Yeah, I could meet a, 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 an open-minded scientist and an open-minded editor, editor, but this support was coming from somewhere else. You see, one of the people I met in San Francisco, he was called Ed May or Edwin, Edwin C. May. He was uh, a physicist originally. And uh, the, the year before I met him, he... Uh, he stopped or had to, to, to stop a project which had been running for 20 years. So now he could talk about this project. So 
Mm. I think you can guess what I'm thinking about. But anyway, it was called Stargate. It was a top secret CIA project because they assumed that the Russians was using people with uh, psychic abilities mm -hmm. in their military programs. So they s said to themselves, we should do the same. And it was true, the Russians did that. Anyway, for 20 years, they were working with uh, uh, remote viewing and also other, but other techniques, but primarily uh, remote viewing and had some uh, quite good results. Um, um, maybe I have to explain that uh, you, if I'm sitting here and, uh, 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 and you are somewhere in Sweden, uh, then I should try to close my eyes and say, I see Anders, he was- And we he, can assume that, that Zoom is not on then. <laughs> Zoom is not on. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So anyway, I have to, to uh, in my mind to, if I have this ability, I would be able to tell that you are, uh, uh, at a bridge in the middle of Stockholm or whatever. <laughs> and I can see not, not exactly like, like as a picture, but uh, some signs on where you are and some shapes yeah. and other things. That's what they did uh, with uh, military purposes. And um, then uh, that was in 1996. Uh, uh, and then for, I think about, uh, maybe three years ago, two years, I don't know. I found this uh, business card from, from Ed, uh, the CIA guy. And I wrote him an email. <laughs> it might work, this old email. And it did. <laughs> and he answered me, yes, time flies, he was <laughs> writing. And, uh, and we had a little uh, mail conversation. But uh, what happened in between, uh, which reminded me of Ed, was that... Uh, again some years ago maybe eight or nine years ago i don't remember i discovered a book which i bought instantly bought on amazon which is called uh, esp wars east and west and what happened after the uh, the, the iron curtain was uh, mm -hmm. crumbling down in 89 was that this uh, these cia people they uh, uh, got on a flight to Moscow. They had an appointment with their old enemies in KGB and uh, who was doing the same research. And uh, well, I think they became friends, it seems so. And uh, I always tell the story about they shared some bottles of vodka, but I don't know if it's true. <laughs> well, it seems <laughs> like- That's what you do to your guests if you want to be polite in Moscow. Anyway, and they don't pour water, why should they? Um, but uh, anyway, they decided to write a book together. And, um, and I must say that uh, I've been reading a lot of very exciting uh, uh, books about, uh, uh, about uh, like uh, crimes and, you know, all this stuff. Yeah. Oh, I can't stop reading. And this was, this was, Number Even more one. exciting. <laughs> it was more exciting, I can tell you. Uh, I want to tell you a long story about this book, but, but um, and you can find uh, uh, something uh, about this also. On, what, on what is the title? The title is, I don't have it here, but the title is ESP Wars East and West. 
ESP is extra sensory, sensory perception, perception yeah. um, and they 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 do not only uh, write about what they did; they also uh, uh, go back in in time to the um, uh, to the well, Egyptians and uh, yeah, yeah, way back in history to show that everyone had somehow used uh, psychics. Uh, yeah, and Hitler and. Yeah, yes, yeah, also yes. it's been used. Uh, it's it's long, it, yeah. actually it's it's been quite normal. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting in in in, in many ways. Um, so a good reading tip there. Yeah, I can really recommend. Um, okay. And, uh, yeah, say you you want to say some more about that before we? Maybe yeah. Well, the... not not really, but. Um, of course, I like to see this guy to some uh, to some uh, uh, great event here in Scandinavia, but uh, he's yeah. quite busy. <laughs> I can understand that. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the media and and, and uh, the problems. Yeah. With media and uh, and I have a quote here first because because um, as a segue or something I don't know I was uh, I visited Ion's IONS's website the Institute of uh, Noetic Sciences Noetic is a very strange word actually I had to look it up it, it, yeah, it's, it actually it's means an old Greek Greek word I yeah. know and it has to do with intellect and mind which made me a little bit skeptical too I mean they, they are well it's about mind of course but it's about spiritual things also and noetic doesn't really mean it. Uh, anyway that's a sidetrack so i was uh, checking out ions website and i saw this um, quote from a guy who is now taking over i think albert einstein's place as the person the go to scientist when you want to 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 find a cool quote because you have people have been attributing any anything to albert einstein any any, any wise thing that has been said has been attributed to albert einstein yeah. but but i think nikola tesla is taking over his role now oh yeah tesla is yeah, really. very common these days and there was a tesla quote but i i've seen it before and i think it's actually accurate tesla says that the day science begins to study non-physical phenomena it will make more progress in one decade than in all the previous centuries of its existence yeah, you, I remember. Think, yeah, it's do you a think great he's right? Quote. Do you think he's right when he says that? Yeah, yeah. It's so funny thinking about Tesla and his. Everybody's talking about Tesla when yeah. they want to buy a car. Yeah. And um, but talking about IONS, um, um, I realized that they uh, on their website that they had uh, local groups. Uh, study circles, supporters, uh, fans, whatever you call them, but some uh, local groups, which has no legal connection, but just mm -hmm. affiliated with. Yeah, uh, yeah. And there was no group in Denmark. So I made one uh, uh, in 18. Yeah, it was settled like in, in 19. And uh, we even managed to have, have some meetings face to face before the Corona. So, so that's your affiliation with IONS, that you yes, started exactly. a group in, in Denmark. So we have a, um, a small group uh, discussing uh, uh, all these interesting things. And one of my uh, goals still is to, to go out from this group with, or some of us from the group should 
write something in the media or make some events or to to try to push the agenda a little bit uh, but we didn't do that yet i must say mm-hmm. and this has partly uh, because of the corona it has made yeah. some even if we have zoom uh, a lot of things are not moving so so mm-hmm. fast um but it's a it's a very good little circle and uh, as far as i remember there should be a group in stockholm and oslo i think okay i'll check that out i'm not sure but they have a uh you have to look for community groups then you will have a map of of the the entire world but most of the groups are in the u.s Uh, yeah i know i understand so anyway anyway, uh, yeah you you talked you talked a little bit about here about your experiences when it comes to trying to convey these more esoteric non-physical aspects of science in, in in mainstream media uh, and you mentioned that you have published once you have you have had an article published which is about exactly this this basic uh, topic uh, that is uh, that, that, that there is a non-physical reality out there but what what do you think but but other other than that you've had some some troubles with it you you explained what do you think is the the problem in the mainstream media with this what what is uh, what is the reason for this reluctance to accept these kinds of articles? Um, I think the reason number one is the the power of of the scientific establishment. Uh, Most people, including editors and politicians, they don't see science as a part of politics like a lot of people uh, have not been considering uh, uh, the, the church for example as a political factor for for centuries which is it has always been uh, uh, since <laughs> since the birth of Jesus <laughs> before uh, so they consider science as as God somehow and I cannot come up with any quotes, but I think I've been reading different uh, wise people saying this sentence that we have put science in the place of God. And uh, of course, people know that science is, the scientists often are, they don't agree about the climate, they don't agree about this or that, but the basic principles in science and those who really also have economic implications they are not questioned. Mm-hmm. And if uh, if the parliament in some country want to decide about health, for example, that's what I know most about, yeah, they go to the medical doctors to get advice and not to any doctor, but to those doctor, doctors who are in in power on, on top of the pyramid, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the doctors connected to the public health uh, system. And this is the truth for the, uh, uh, that's what the politicians, uh, mm, mm. that's what their experience and, is. And the media goes with that, so to speak. They, they and the media uh, are the doing the same thing. They ask the politicians, and then uh, if, if they want to, to go deeper, they also ask uh, uh, some professor at the university who's a medical doctor, and, uh, and then they got the truth. Uh, 
if it comes to to really fundamental uh, questions, uh, there's there's no second opinion. And besides that, some someone <laughs> have succeeded to to label uh, people uh, who, for example. Uh, are studying uh, near-death experiences and, uh, and bending metal or whatever. And if you are dealing with that as a scientist, you are doing pseudo, pseudo-science. Yeah, 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 pseudo-science. Pseudo-science. Pseudo yeah. And uh, exactly like today, I have to say, if you go against the narrative about the corona, even as a scientist, you are a conspiracy, conspiracy theorist. Yeah. And using uh, labeling people with words like these, I know it's, it's uh, of course it's a different case, but making this label will end all discussion. And as a journalist, if you call one of these uh, people with a label, mm -hmm. then and make an interview with him, then you are contaminated with the same label. Yeah. So then, as a journalist, you don't dare to do this because even if you have the idea, what would the other journalist and the editor say? Yeah. Are you crazy? Are you also get uh, a conspiracy theorist or pseudoscience or whatever? So uh, that's a... It's a cruel that's... system because it's, it's like catch-22. Yeah. You can't get out of it. Yeah, it's, a, it's really a catch-22. And this about thinking out of the box... Uh, uh, This is this is not really uh, upfront these days. <laughs> mm, mm. You know, it isn't. No, it isn't. I mean, we are, and and there are a lot of people who are doing it. But it's kind of it, it like the polarization is is uh, intensifying a little bit because I mean, possibly because we are communicating so much, and everything that is said being said is up on the surface nowadays. You know, you can hear. I mean, like you were mentioning this pandemic thing and and the the. the The discussion about vaccinations is, uh, I mean, it's impossible for the powers that be to completely quash that discussion to 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 uh, silence it because, I mean, some some ways it it, it pops up, it it uh, seeps up to the to the surface, so everyone can see that there is a discussion going on out there. But then, the, as you say, there those people who are who don't want to take the vaccine, they're labeled anti-vaxxers and and pseudoscientists and all that, but. Yeah, but still, there, I mean, there is a knowledge about a discussion going on, which perhaps wasn't there 30 years ago, 40 years ago. You didn't even know that there were people. No, we didn't. We didn't have a so we didn't have social media. No, we didn't no. know about all all the opinions that were out there. Sometimes maybe you you met some person on a train who spoke strangely, who said strange things to you, and you, oh, that was wacko. Yeah. You might have thought, but then you forgot all about it. But now you you, you see these. And I mean, I don't, I don't mean that they're wackos, but I, I just mean that it's very good for us all to know that there are all kinds of different aspects and the angles and uh, opinions about everything, and we have to take that into account. So, uh, well, that was a sorry yeah, yeah, about the you're, rant. You're, you're quite right, and yeah. and um, uh, we so, were so talking about this is the problem with the media that the journalists are afraid they're intrepid, they're not intrepid, they're. <laughs> They're they're afraid that that they will be ostracized if they if they uh, bet on the wrong horse, so to speak. They, they... exactly exactly because uh, uh, the other explanation is that that 
that uh, all the journalists, they are not able to think out, out of the box. They're too stupid. I mean, this is, mm. this is not the case, of course. There are many very clever journalists around uh, in Denmark and Sweden and worldwide. So, so maybe they suspect that they should be writing something different, but they don't dare. Um, but there was another aspect that I've been thinking a lot about and also writing about and talking about on the podcast. Uh, and is, is that I have the impression that news media, especially news media, is not as independent as they often claim to be. And that has not only to do with uh, their independence towards science, but independence towards any structure in this in this in society. Some people call it the Matrix, you know, <laughs> this mm-hmm. film, the Matrix. It's a documentary, they say, which mm-hmm. has some, I think it has something going for it to say that. But uh, anyway, the, I mean, news media is not independent from, from, from the powers that be, be it sci- mainstream science, be it the government, be it the corporate world. It's, it's not independent. And I thought it no. was independent. When I, when I became a journalist, you know, in the, in the 80s, late 80s, early 90s, I thought that oh we have it's it's a proud uh, profession you know because we we tell the truth and we yeah. speak for the people and we have uh, you know <laughs> we are we are all independent but I've realized I came to realize that that's not really the case there are some rules written on the walls that I mean not, it's not written on the walls but it's in the walls it's written between the lines you you can't do certain things you don't write about certain things you don't ask certain questions and, and nobody says it but you can feel it in a way it's in the it's in the air. <laughs> Yeah. So it's it's not it's it's not independent and, and and the government is also I mean these big newspapers the mainstream newspapers in Sweden for instance and and the radio and the t- television they're they they are a sta- statist so to speak uh, we say in Swedish statsbärande statsbärande they are they're the media is carrying this the state power along with mm-hmm. the state so to speak it's not yeah. independent from it it's it's kind of in the same loop do, do you agree with that yeah, some of us in, in at least in Denmark, we uh, we think that the, the 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 big news media, like the, the 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 Danish Broadcast Corporation, for example, and the big newspapers, they are have been uh, a PR agency for the government during the entire corona period yeah. once in a while they, of course they have some discussions with some critics but 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 basically they they promote uh, the narrative um, and uh, nobody has really questioned this is this is this what they should do okay well that's okay if they should do it but uh, if they deny and and keep on uh, telling that they are just making journalism, mm. and this is not true anyway. So, I think they a lot of them might feel bad about it, but of course they want they don't want to lose their job because it's it's really a, a massive uh, uh, PR uh, task they have been doing. Eh? Yeah, um, and so, the pressure is heavy on 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 individual journalists. I think so. Yeah, often times. But well, it's just a guess. I mean. I have not been employed there, so I, I couldn't tell. But seen from the outside, it looks very strange uh, because they they tell the same story, all of them. They do, they do. Uh, they, they they boast, they brag about being so independent, and sometimes they they, for instance, they can topple a minister or something because they have found that there's the minister has been 
bribed or so. And uh, that's oh, yeah, true. Yeah. I mean, they, they can do that, but that's just a single example of what they can do. And, and it doesn't really matter. It doesn't affect anything. It doesn't affect the structure. No, not really. Yeah. But they can yeah. show that sh this shows that we are independent. Look at us. We toppled this minister. But then it just continues as, as uh, you know, business as usual. And uh, when it comes to the big, big issues, like, as you say, the pandemic and also migration, the climate, terrorism, um, all these big questions, they very, very soon follow suit. They follow the government very, very closely. I mean, they, there can be some discussion at the beginning, for instance, when the migration wave came here in, to Sweden and Denmark also in 19... 2015, 2016. Mm -hmm. And I know, for instance, the paper that I was working at at the time, Dagens Nyheter in Stockholm, it uh, almost campaigned for the the migrants, for the refugees. So it was, I mean, they really took a stand that we have to help these people. But then the government switched foot, you know, very uh, clearly. I mean, very uh, from black to white almost um, overnight later that fall. And then it just took a few weeks and then Dagens Nyheter was also <laughs> in that loop. It was switching too, yeah. Yeah, they switched too. It was almost, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's like, okay, so the government doesn't like what we're saying. Okay, we just do what the... Yeah. You want some coffee? Okay, thank you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, have... uh, maybe in 10 or 20 years I could transmit that through the... Probably, the probably. Maybe, yes. Who knows? Who knows? Anything is possible. So, but talking about the public yeah. service media, yeah, yeah. Uh, I have to, uh, the the good thing, the good side of it that uh, within the past uh, 15, 20 years, three times at least uh, in the Danish uh, 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 on the Danish TV channels, the big ones, um, we have some uh, small series of uh, of. Uh, Frontier Science, actually. Mm -hmm. I know the guy who, who, who made this, and uh, he was interviewing uh, all the, the interesting people, so to speak, uh, uh, doing research uh, uh, on, on uh, for example, near-death experiences. And he interviewed Pim van Lommel from the, the Dutch medical doctor who has been uh, talking about this and published. Mm -hmm. On uh, my podcast as well. Yes, I, I remember. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I talked to him, and he said, "Yeah, I did this, but I really had to fight to to get it uh, 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 recognized by by uh, the editor." And he he had a hard time because everything should be so hundred uh, percent uh, well researched and documented. And of course it should be, but this was about, he should do it like 120%. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And because that doesn't go for any, that doesn't go for mainstream science stories. No, they no. Can, they can you be can just say anything. Coffee. Yes. Yeah. Um, That's interesting. But that, so they had these, they, they had these um, episodes in, on the Danish television or was it? Yeah. Yeah. On Danish television, uh, mm -hmm. one of them at the Danish uh, broadcasting, the old, Denmark's radio, as we call it, uh, and uh, like you have you SVT, yeah, yeah, um, and um, and the other one is uh, TV two in Denmark, mm -hmm. but that's the other uh, big channel. Mm. And um, 
so this this was okay uh, and uh, I think a lot of people like this um, and if you go to different magazines you will see uh, uh, some uh, personal stories about their near-death experiences people mm-hmm. are even some uh, uh, well-known people shentiza as you say in Swedish yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, even some of those have uh, come forward and told their stories That's but The funny thing is that, oh, this is interesting. Everybody thinks it's, it's very, whoa, they, they did this. But science, science uh, just doesn't care. Mm-hmm. They, nobody wants to, 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 to dig into this. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a paradox between, uh, between the, what uh, the scientists are doing, or thinking maybe, and on the other hand, that uh, two out of three Danes are stating that there is more between heaven and earth. Yeah. And this was a survey from seven years ago, I think. Um, So people, they know that something is happening. Mm -hmm. And um, I have a suspicion that a lot of Danish people really have some great or maybe also unpleasant experiences. I don't know. Uh, in the uh, uh, paranormal uh, category, yeah. but they don't want to talk about it because they know that this cannot happen. You are crazy if you start telling about this. Not about near-death experience because it's so well uh, documented now, I think. Yes, now, but I mean, that was the case with near-death experiences also 20, 30, 40 years ago. I've, I've exactly. heard a lot about yeah. that. People who had had these experiences, they didn't talk, never talked about it because they thought they might be crazy or this can't be true. But then as more and more books were published about it and more programs were recorded about it, they could see that, oh, I'm not the only one. So they started talking. So now today it's, as you say, not that uh, controversial. That's what I, how, uh, That's the reason I somehow, uh, I'm, I'm more interested in some of the, the, the magazines, even if you can say a lot of bad, of bad things about this, popular magazines mm-hmm. uh, which have a, a lot of uh, of stories about uh, uh, people who are famous for no reason and yeah. whatever uh, but still they are the ones who who want to write about mm. stuff like that mm. and people read it mm. so um, so i don't mind there uh, that they are The no, that's true. They're they're actually in the front line. For, yeah, somehow they are. Somehow they are on, on the front line there, which is interesting. So anyway, uh, you and I, we we got to know each other in connection with the so-called Galileo Commission. Uh, uh, it's an initiative sprung from the Scientific and Medical Network, I think it's called. Yeah. And uh, it aims to, as it says on the website, I'll... I'll read it uh, directly here, to open public discourse and to find ways to expand science so that it can accommodate and explore important human experiences and questions that science in its present form is unable to integrate. In short, to encourage investigations beyond the materialist worldview. So, uh, and you are engaged in this uh, commission uh, i am very briefly so also but but you are more so so in what way are you engaged in the galileo commission well i approached them about a year ago i think because i stumbled over the uh, the galileo commission by by incident i think 
but um, maybe it was way 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 back on some website at IONS. I don't remember. Anyway, uh, I thought it was interesting, and I I, uh, I found out that one of my old acquaintances, a uh, 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 psychologist and whatever he's more than that, Harald Wallach or Wallach, he's he's somehow German and English. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I know he is German, but he has been working uh, in both languages. He was, uh, I met him because of um, this research in complementary medicine. And all of a sudden, I found out that he was uh, the main author of the, of the big report of the Galileo uh, Commission. And um, so first I wrote him, and then I wrote David Lorimer, who, who is uh, like in charge, so to speak. Um, and then I um, suggested that that uh, we would somehow make it easier for journalists worldwide to, to learn from each other and to find out how to, to, to have some debate and uh, to get the message out that, that uh, science was not only the materialistic uh, concept. So, um, and then I, I have been involved uh, on and off uh, for a year, and we decided to, to start a network of, of open-minded journalists. And it didn't really start yet, but it will, I hope, in a, within a, a month or two, I hope. So, um, because my idea was that cooperation between journalists, networking between journalists in different countries which of course has different uh, situation, uh, situations regarding the media and science, but still we could learn from each other and uh, maybe help each other or do something like a joint venture or writing an article, I don't know. Um, so I'm really looking forward to this and I'm so curious mm. about what is happening in, in, uh, in other countries uh, talking about media and science. Yeah. How do you think that journalists, I mean, considering what we have just been talking about and, and, the, and the problems uh, concerning journalists who, who want to break the mainstream but don't dare because they, they fear to be ostracized, how, how do you think you can go about here to make journalists more open-minded, to dare mm. to, to, to talk about these things? Well, Question, to guess. make them, yeah, uh, first of all, we are trying to address the people who are open-minded. Yeah. Uh, we are trying to find them, and this is quite a task in itself. But still, I understand your question. How can we make other journalists uh, open-minded and, and curious? I think as a journalist, you should be curious, but still, it has some limitations. That's, I can see that. Uh, I think that would depend on the journalist environment in each country. Uh, actually, I, did, I didn't really have these considerations until you are asking me, but... Yeah, well, well I can I, understand that, as you say, you, you start by con uh, connecting with those who are already open-minded and, and who... Yeah. Know, I mean, they're not, they are not very many, but there are a few. But then from there, maybe you can go further and you, you, you have a bigger network yeah. and, and it's easier to, to detect maybe if there are any other 
people out there who might be interested and then maybe you you reach a threshold mm-hmm. you know uh, critical mass when enough journalists are daring to write about these things that maybe a lot of others also realize that okay this is yeah well I, I must say i'm i'm really relying on <clears throat> countries like uh, great britain and the us and germany because in denmark i mean like six million people and uh, and a newspaper or media world where everybody knows everybody it's very very hard to change anything but if i could find just uh three other journalists in Denmark, mm. then it would be a start. Then we could maybe we, we could arrange uh, an interesting event for other journalists. I don't know. So, but the problem is that when I find an article in a Danish magazine, for example, about near-death experiences, uh, usually it's uh, some young journalist who has, who uh, wrote this story and, oh, this is interesting, uh, quite a, whoa, this is uh, way out of uh, what I'm usually writing about. And then they they continue doing their usual work. So mm-hmm. it was not, the story was not born out of an interest in this, but it was interesting for them because it was unusual. So, what I mean by saying this is that uh, I don't think I will find more than maybe one or two <laughs> uh, or three, including myself, in Denmark, because if they were there, I would have heard about it uh, yeah. in this small country. Hmm. Uh, and if you write something in Danish, uh, it will not have a big uh, reach out. A big impact. That's, uh, that's uh, the advantage of uh, of the English-speaking countries. That is that you have quite a possible uh, uh, a big reach target yeah. group. Yeah, yeah. And as you say, I mean, it's if you look at upon it the other way around, you say that when you write something in Danish, it's within the Danish context, and everybody knows everybody, and it's uh, nobody really dares to go out of the their comfort zone. But if <laughs> These things are written in in uh, big papers or media in the United States or in the United Kingdom. Danish journalists are looking at that and taking that into account and being impressed yeah. by that. And so then they they can dare to perhaps start writing about yeah. it because then yeah. they they can they can point to the the big American context or the big British context, uh, which makes it easier, of course. But also we have th- these new these new technologies and this communication tools now so we can i mean like you and me now you can communicate with uh, people in other countries very easily and you can you can find uh, you can build up your journalist networks uh, with other countries uh, easily so you don't yeah. have to be that i mean con- confined to to the danish context really you can you can do it differently yeah 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 that's one of the the advantages of uh, of the this uh, electronic globalization and yeah. uh, partly because of the corona. <laughs> hmm. um, yeah, you said something uh, before our interview also that, that after the pandemic, you, you want to reach out to, I guess, meet in person uh, scientists in, you mentioned the United States and also Russia. 
and to, I guess, discuss these matters, these topics, these esoteric topics. Can you tell us more about that, what, what you're dreaming about doing there? Yes, of course, it's a dream, but um, uh, it's no secret that I, I, I like to, or I can't help doing it, uh, talking to people about this and to researchers. Uh, and in Denmark, uh, it's very hard to find a researcher with this kind of open-mindedness. Yeah. So, um, and after the corona, I, uh, I'm assuming that soon will be an after. Uh, I would really like to, to also to talk to some of these people, not only at Zoom, but uh, uh, in person if mm. possible. And I, if, if I one day have the, the possibility and the funding, I'd like to go to Russia because uh, in spite of what other things you hear about Russia, uh, uh, talking about research, they have not been uh, so much influenced by, by mainstream, but what we call mainstream science. Um, so what I have heard is that, that you don't uh, meet this wall of, re of uh, rejection as a researcher if you approach a controversial uh, issue in Russia. So to wrap this thing up now, we've been talking for a long, for a long time and it's been very interesting, of course, all of it. Um, do you think we will see a paradigm shift away from materialism, the materialist uh, worldview in our lifetimes? The big question. <laughs> yeah. I don't know about you, but I, I wouldn't mind if I can still think uh, right. I wouldn't mind uh, turning 110, but I... Well, probably not. Uh, I think it will take quite a long time because there are so many obstacles. But there may happen things we cannot uh, anticipate. Uh, things happening in some country and some 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 changes which is which are not normal in science some event, I, I'm just uh, fantasizing. Uh, mm. But if, if it continues like this with the established uh, uh, scientific community and so a bunch of journalists and some uh, researchers doing research and these things, I'm afraid it will not happen within the next 20 years. But of course, I, will, I hope there will be changes. But as a shift uh, which is recognized by by a majority of scientists, it will take time. But I can only say uh, I was doing a, uh, a speech in uh, online speech some uh, some months ago uh, that I will I would like to continue what I'm doing in my next in my next life. But the problem is, what about my documents? Is there some kind of uh, cloud storage, quantum <laughs> cloud storage, where I could get them in my next life? Well, the Akashic, the Akashic records are there, of course. Oh yeah, I heard about it. They must yeah, be. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. that's where are, everything is stored. You know, every knowledge, all all the knowledge, your knowledge yeah. and the collective knowledge, it's all there. <laughs> yeah, but I don't have an account there. <laughs> well, it's easy. You just write down your email address and and. No, password. 
So, okay, Jesper Madsen, thank you so much for joining the show and uh, good luck with your efforts to shift and open minds out there. Thank you, Anders, and good luck again with the minds shift. Yeah. Thanks, bye. Thank you.